Hey, everybody. This is Los Angeles-based jazz vocalist Sarah Gazarek, and you are listening to the Behind the Note podcast with Chris Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, thank you for pressing play on this episode. We're glad to have you today. We have a great show for you once again. Today, we're going to begin a series, and this is about playing or working musicals. We have yet to have that topic on the show. And recently this summer, I've had the privilege of working Broadway in Chicago. I played a show called Jesus Christ Superstar. And recently the show was nominated for three Jefferson Awards. It was a very great performance. And today we're going to begin the series with the director of music for the show, who's also an actor as well as a director, and he's also an educator. So I'm happy to bring this person to you today. We're going to talk about the responsibilities of a music director, how to get the job as an actor and as a director, and we're also going to talk about what the audition process looks like. I'm happy to bring to you today Mr. Tom Vindafredo. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the show. We're glad to have you today. Well, thank you very much. I'm really excited to have you because this is the first time that we're really entering into the topic of musical theater. So welcome to the show. Oh, I'm honored to be the first musical theater guest. (laughs) So I got to meet you because I'm currently working uh, a play called Jesus Christ Superstar, and you're my director. <laughs> yes. And, and, and just one more time, thank you for doing this. Oh, absolutely, Chris. So we want to get to know you a little bit better. I just introduced you, so I want to ask you, what do you like to do in your spare time when you're not working? Oh, that's a great way to start. <laughs> um, I, I just am really close with my family and my friends, um, and so it really doesn't matter what we're doing as long as we're we're hanging out together, but, you know, Seeing movies, going bowling, going out for dinner, cooking dinner, uh, hanging out with my my brother who has two sons, hanging out with my sister who has a daughter, um, you know, just spending quality time with the people that that I love. But uh, you asked the question at a good time because we're heading into summer and riding my bike around the city is like one of my favorite things to do. Um, so I'll be definitely on the, the Chicago Lakeshore bike path and, uh, you know, going around to different parks and beaches and just enjoying. It's a beautiful city for riding the bike. And if you've never been to Chicago, as our listener, there's a there's a path. I, I just say a mm-hmm. path with a lot of runners and bike people riding bikes and things like that. Um, I wanted to ask you also, are you from Chicago? I'm from the Burbs. So I grew up in Palatine, Illinois, and then... Um, did all my schooling and all that, which I assume we might get into a little bit, but uh, but then I, I eventually made my way back here after grad school, and I did move to Chicago. So now I live on the north side in a neighborhood called Buena Park, and uh, yeah, I'm a Chicago resident. Right on. So where did you end up going to school, and, and why did you choose the school you went to? Oh, that's great. So my undergrad, for my undergrad, I went to the Eastman School of Music, and when I was in high school, I, I really knew that music was the thing that I was really good at and the thing that I wanted to pursue in some way. So I applied to um, four different schools, which is actually not a lot when I think about a lot of like my classmates who, you know, 
20 applications and all these auditions and like all this and I, and I basically picked like a state university a small liberal arts school and two conservatories and Eastman was one of the conservatories and um, I didn't get accepted to the other conservatory <laughs> and I and that happened like the week before my audition for Eastman so I sort of was in like a well, if I can't get in there, how you know I'm not? How am I going to get into Eastman? And then, uh, but I think it, that week really was important. I pulled myself together and I thought, you know, this is my shot, and if I'm going to do it, I got to do it. So I went to Rochester, which is in upstate New York, and with my dad, and and I auditioned and found out soon after that they wanted me to come there. So um, I was I entered as a music education major. Actually, I, I had to sing for my audition to be to pick voice as my primary instrument. But I was in music education, and then um, at my first year end jury, I auditioned for the vocal performance major to add that to my my uh, my majors. So then I became a double major. Uh, my second year, and when I finished, I got a dual degree in music education and vocal performance. Way to overcome adversity. <laughs> I mean, you really overcame adversity. You, you, you first you got into the school, and then you had a double major, which is not easy to do. No, yeah. no, and and it, but you know what? It was really it was a powerful moment for me as a kid, right? Like, not really knowing if that was a thing that I should be thinking about pursuing and um but to have the faculty the voice faculty at the eastman school of music listen to me my freshman year and and say yeah you know what we're going to give you that chance because we see the potential in you and um so it was it, it was really a very powerful moment and i often now you know look back and i go nope remember you still got it <laughs> you know like That's right. you know they they told you not that i necessarily needed them to tell me that i could do it to do it but it sure helped, and it, it was a boost of confidence going into my sophomore year that I really I needed, and I'm glad I got. I was checking out your website. Nice website, by the way. How Thank did you, you end up in San Diego? So that's, uh, that's like phase two of the story, right? So after Eastman, um, I, I graduated, and I moved back to Palatine, actually, uh, my hometown. And I, I got a job teaching public high school, being a choir director. So I was like, you know up at 5 a.m. at school doing before school activities teaching classes all day and then staying after school for show choir jazz choir chamber choir musical whatever getting home at you know 11 p.m. and then waking up and doing it all over again and and I did that for a year and a half and and somewhere in the middle there I thought I'm not sure that this is what I'm supposed to do with my the rest of my life you know that this is my career path as much as I loved teaching and as much as I loved passing on, you know, the, the knowledge of music and singing that I, I had gathered at that point, I knew there was something more. So theater has always been a passion since I was like seven or eight. It's like the it's like really the first thing that I got into. Um, so I've always loved it and I've always had a really good time in that field. So I decided to start checking out master's programs in musical theater to go, you know, well, I did the classical training. I was trained at a conservatory. I got all of the the rigorous sort of musicianship training that I could ever want. And the other part of my artistry is theater. It's musical theater. So I found a program in San Diego. I found a program in San Diego called San Diego State University. And they have an MFA uh, program in musical theater. 
and I applied and auditioned and visited and um, I got accepted and so I, I was able to go there for two years it was a nice short program two years to study um, and that program was studying not just performance aspects of musical theater it was also training us as MFA students master students to be professors of musical theater at the college level at the university so um, I learned a ton about an art form that I've always loved but I really started to get a full picture of what what that what the history of that art form is and how to train young people that want to make a living in that art form so it was a great program totally the opposite of eastman and then i came back to are you saying eastman wasn't a great program no eastman I'm, just, I'm just messing with you i'm just messing with you I'm, i was not serious but okay so you you were teaching was it high school i think you said yep, high school high school and you came to discover that you did not want to do that with the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So the question I have for you is, did you make up your mind before you went to San Diego? I would like to do A, B, and C instead. No, I didn't. And um, and, when, and to prove that point, as soon as I got back from San Diego, I still had all my Illinois teaching credentials, right? So now I've graduated from grad school. I come back to Chicago, and it's fall, and all of the theaters have already booked up their season. They've got their music directors. They've got most of their actors. So there wasn't, like, a ton of opportunity. So the first thing that I did was I applied for an elementary school te- music teaching job for CPS. And because that was, like, survival mode, right? That was, like, I got to make... I got to make a paycheck and this is something that I do love and something that I'm I'm good at and I have the credentials to do. I have to do that right now because that's the thing right now that's available to me. So I didn't totally shut my options off and go that's it. Musical theater, this is it. But I was obviously hoping that once I moved back to Chicago that I would sort of somehow some way kickstart a career in theater which I did obviously end up doing but um but it's it was important that I kept my options open because at the end of the day as a freelance teacher slash musician as an artist you know you have to take what comes your way you know and that's really important not not that um I didn't have higher hopes for myself than an elementary music school teaching job but at that moment in time that was what i could do to make some money and to keep myself going yeah and you're you're a creator uh creative and uh clearly that's very strong inside of you so so what happened for you like where and when did you get your first crack at acting um well I'm sorry, I wasn't clear. Yeah. Your first crack of, at acting professionally, professionally mm-hmm. after after school. Yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of open that question up a little bit and and because um we haven't really, I guess, said it directly yet, but I am now making a career both as a performer and as a music director. So when you at the top of the podcast said, I'm your director, um, what you're saying is I'm the music director of Jesus Christ Superstar at the Paramount Theater. And uh and that's one half of what I do. The other half is as a performer. So now that we sort of have that like image of, of the full package of what, I, what I'm doing with my life, um, the first professional opportunity I got was actually as a music director. Um, and I was, and I, I got the job as I was student 
uh, excuse me, as I was ele- teaching that in that elementary school music classroom, and uh, and it was to be the conductor and piano player for a production of Sweet Charity at Writers Theater in Glencoe. And that was huge because it started in the in the winter. So I taught a semester of elementary music, got that job and went, bye, <laughs> I'm out of here. Joined the musicians union and started working essentially full time as a conductor on that show. Um, and then shortly thereafter, auditioned for a production of Godspell as an actor uh, at the Marriott Theater in Lincolnshire, and they cast me, and that was in the summer. So it just sort of went boom, 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 you know? And that's been happening ever since. Is that true? That, yeah, that's true. I'm trying to balance that, that dual career. Um, but yes, I have been actively maintaining a career as an actor, singer, and as a music director. Now, you've done something pretty bold, and it was right there in your story. You said that you quit the school when you got the director's gig. Mm-hmm. Well, how long was the run of the director's right. gig? So that was a pretty bold move. Yes, you're very perceptive. Yeah, so so <laughs> talk about how long was the run and and what gave you the confidence just to yeah. jump in like that? The run was maybe 10 weeks and then we got extended, you know, maybe to 12 weeks, um, which does not a full-time annual salary make. But um, I think there are moments in your life where you you'd either decide to take a plunge or not. And, uh, and in that moment of, yes, quitting a full-time job with benefits, you know, uh, was a tough decision for something that paid re- for the conductor job, which paid really well, but was temporary. But making that decision was ultimately taking the plunge and saying, now, now that I do this thing, now that I'm taking this leap, I've got to challenge myself to continuously seek out work in this field. So right now it's May of 2017, and I'm thinking about what work I'm going to be doing in May of 2018 and next summer. You know, so my life is pretty well booked from now until then. But May of 2018, that's what I'm thinking about right now. So to continuously seek out work, what does that look like? Because that could be many different things. What does that look like for you? Well, I consider myself pretty lucky in that, you know, I believe if you do good work and you're a nice person, people that you are working with will always come back around and seek you out for more work. And uh, luckily, it seems that people seem to be liking the work I'm doing. And I won't speak for everyone, but a majority must think I'm a pretty nice guy uh, because they keep hiring me. Well, I'll tell you, this is my first experience, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Good. There yes. you go. Stamp of approval. That's right. Um, but but it's really true, and that, I guess I say that more because it's good advice for anyone that's listening, you know, is that you you do have to be a nice person because people want to work with nice people. They want to work with talented people and people who are qualified for the job, but you know, you've got to be enjoying the work that you're doing. And that means enjoying the people that you're doing it with. So, um, so what that looks like now is having lots of conversations, um, sending some emails occasionally to people with whom I've worked in the past and going, Hey, you know, I really loved my time at such and such theater. Just wanted to throw my name in the ring for anything coming up next season. Uh, I'd love to be back. Uh, it, it also means 
having a pretty good handle on the web and looking on the internet for those theaters that are doing shows that have opportunities that fit my skill set. Um, the as an actor and a member of the actors union, there's a great website that you know I can search for auditions or jobs and things like that. So there's always resources. You just have to use them and and again sort of be thinking ahead of the ball game. So tell us the transition that happened from director then to actor. Hmm. It's funny. I don't really think of it like a transition because okay. I still kind of think I'm doing both. Yes. So um, the, I'll, I'll, I'll explain a challenge of that is that people hire their music directors a year plus out. So, you know, people are looking for music directors right now for those May of 2018 opportunities, but they won't be looking for actors for those opportunities until maybe after the new year. So it's it is a challenge in terms of being offered work way ahead of time as a music director and then being available for right acting right and then the perfect job comes along as an actor and i go oh i can't do that one because i'm already booked but um but that's the balancing act you know my summer is is usually pretty free from music direction work it just has has happened that way so summer is a time that i really aggressively look for those acting opportunities um, but it, you know, it is, it's ebb and flow. It just sort of depends on, on what's coming up next. You touched on something that I wanted to talk about. Uh, will you give us a look at what are the responsibilities of someone in your position as a director? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about, well, just answer that question first. What are, what are some of the responsibilities sure. that you have as a musical director? Sure. As a music director in the musical theater world. Uh, my job starts, um, I think with auditions, I think that's the first really time we're in the room together. Um, having, you know, the opportunity to meet actors that might be right for the show. And so we, prior to that, you know, the music director is helping the director picks the right songs from the show that the people should sing to try and show us that they've got what it takes to play that role. And, and after we've got the show, pretty well cast we'll have production meetings where we talk about all the design elements i, and, want, I want to interrupt yeah, sure oh uh, how long does the audition process take <laughs> if we're lucky so like in chicago we'll have two days of what are called general auditions where anybody and everybody can just come in and sing for us and then we'll have two to three days of callbacks which is where we sift through that bunch and we we find people who are really well matched to come in and sing for specific roles um and like it's a miracle if that's the only it only takes five days um you know usually we do a pretty solid version of a cast and then in those five days and then sometimes months sometimes two three four months after that we're still dealing with an actor who had to drop the show because they got this or uh, a track a character we couldn't quite find so we still are searching for that so processes have gone anywhere from those five days to nine months of really searching to find you know the right people for example jesus christ superstar you know we started casting in 2016 in spring of 2016 and two weeks before we started rehearsal we had someone drop our show and we had to fill that role so that's a year almost you know so that makes me ask when you're casting do you already have in mind 
the people who would be good replacements for the stars or standbys? I don't know the official term you guys use. Yeah, um, we we know you start to know a lot of people on the creative side of the table. You know, you start to get your categories of people with certain skills. And so, sure, I mean, I don't think we necessarily process, you know, who the next three people are in line for each and every specific track. But to a degree, we we actually do have that conversation where we go, you know, here are our top three or four people we saw for that role, and this is the person we want. And then if that person can't do it, we'd circle back to the table and we go, hmm, well, what about this person or that person? And sometimes a brand new person enters the mix. It just sort of depends. But um, it's not always even just about the principal roles. There are, you know, can be upwards of 16 to 18 chorus contracts too. So it might be someone in your chorus that is a really solid, you know, ballet dancer and she's an alto and so then we're looking for someone really specific in a chorus contract that we have to replace too. And so, sure, there's a file of people we can go back to and go, hmm, who fits that criteria? So what are some of the main categories you have? It sounds like you have a, a star, and then you mentioned a chorus, yeah. uh, which are the background people. Yeah, the ensemble, uh, right? Ensemble. Is that pretty much it? And then there's, like, obviously there are always supporting characters, just like in a movie or in a you know play or whatever. There's, there's always sort of a secondary list of characters who aren't quite principals, but they're, they're still leads in the show in some way. And then there's one other category that's not probably talked about that often, and it's the, the swings. And usually we, we at the Paramount can hire two swings, a male and a female. And swings are actors who learn all of the ensemble tracks so that if an ensemble member calls out sick or has to go on an audition or something serious happens, that swing, literally, we say, swings in to that track for that day, for that show. And so these (laughs) people that swing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. are they always in attendance uh, during the run? Yeah, I mean, it's different at different theaters, but here at the Paramount, they are. In fact, they're also sort of a part of the ensemble. They have lighter tracks. They don't do quite as much um, so that if we lose them because they swing into a larger ensemble track, we're not missing a huge piece to the puzzle. But um, but yeah, they're in the building just in case, you know, they got to go on. Okay, so I, inter- I interrupted you, but... Uh, you, you were saying the first part is the audition, and then you have meetings. Lots of meetings, yeah, where we are talking about the set and the orchestra and the costumes and all of that. And that that usually is spread out, you know, by a couple months and whatnot, each meeting. But we have some meetings, and then, and then the real process begins when rehearsals start. And we'll be in rehearsals for about four weeks. Um, one week of that is the final week of that is technical rehearsals where we move into the theater. But, um, but the role of the music director in rehearsal is to, um, be the musical brain in the room. So helping the actors all learn their harmonies and their solos and their, the, the, um, the music and, um, helping the director who also may or may not be choreographing, uh, and the choreographer, if there's another person doing that, um, with dance breaks and timing of this and what sort of feels good musically here or there. And, um, we work on, you know, it's, we work on the piece, we work on the art of it, um, and make sure that everybody's getting comfortable and confident in what they're doing. 
and then we move to the theater and we go through the whole show with the technical team and we add lights and all of that. And the music director is there for all of that to say, you know, oh, you need a longer transition there, it seems like, because you have this gigantic piece of scenery you have to move. So, hmm, let me talk to my assistant music director and let's create, you know, 32 more bars of music to make a transition or whatever that is. We learn during the technical process and then the music director meets the orchestra in one, usually in one day, gets the orchestra up to speed uh, on all of those changes and tempos and all of that, and then the introduction of the cast to the orchestra and vice versa, where we sing and play through the whole thing and iron out all of the details, and then we go into previews, so where we have an audience to sort of help us along and learn what's working and what's not and get the orchestra confident in what so they're you're, doing. So with the preview, you're pretty much reading the audience to see what they respond to. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. And then are there certain points in the in the play where you want to have a response and sometimes you don't get it and so you tweak things or yeah and yes and vice versa too where sometimes there are moments where we really don't want applause uh, because we want to keep the story moving forward and we have a preview and they're like wildly applauding and we go oh well maybe it's because we did too big of a light shift or maybe that that ending chord needs to be changed to you know something more dissonant or, or not final you know we, we do that a couple times in Jesus Christ Superstar where we try to propel it forward and we can only learn that with you know warm warm blooded humans in the seats <laughs> teaching that, us that's really good I wondered about the preview uh I was wondering about that. So are these paying customers? Yeah, they are. They know that they're seeing a performance that's prior to opening night, but many love that. And uh, and is that, some theaters make the ticket price less. Some don't because it's professional theater and you're still seeing a, a really great show. We just happen to be making some small changes during the day based on what we learn and what we see needs to be fixed. And so then uh, during a preview, the performance is a performance. It's not going to stop. Is that true? Uh, that's a good question. The goal is to not stop, but if something safety-wise happened or, you know, just some sort of random emergency or, or anything that puts the audience or the cast at risk, um, we would stop, absolutely, and we have in the past because we are, you know, even, truth be told, in a live performance after opening night, if something serious were to go wrong or jeopardize the safety of anyone on stage, we would stop. The show would absolutely stop. So, you know, we don't, it's not certainly like, oh, someone sang a wrong note or played a wrong note. Hold, hold the show. We need to fix that. (laughs) It's not quite that flexible, but in a serious situation where we couldn't, if we got ourselves into a bind that we could not get out of for whatever technical reason, we would stop. How much music arranging and writing, composing is involved in your role as music director? It depends on the show and it depends on the theater company. So here at the Paramount Theater that we are working at currently, they hire typically the full orchestration of whatever show they're doing. So we don't need an arranger. We don't need an orchestrator because we're doing whatever was on Broadway in the original production. Um, However, the exception to the rule is Jesus Christ Superstar is a perfect example of that, where we did some um, some tweaking and we did a little reducing, which a lot of theaters have to do um, occasionally, take that number of musicians down a few for, for financial purposes. So because we were asked to do that on Jesus Christ Superstar, my assistant music director and I 
actually did create some new arrangements and orchestrations to facilitate those losses where we lost books um, we had to sort of make up for it with our woodwind section and our brass section so there's a, a moderate amount on this show and a smaller amount on other shows usually so from the process of uh, who, who says I want to put on a, a musical of Jesus Christ Superstar or uh, <laughs> or Wicked who 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 thinks about that and then makes it happen who is that Yeah that's the the at at our theater here that's the CEO and president of the Paramount Theater Tim Rader and the artistic director Jim Cordy those two kind of plan what they think is a good season what's a good fit for their subscribers and what shows they think will do well on our stage and then they share that information with people they trust and work with and want to know their opinion of the season. And maybe that tweaks it a little bit. And uh, and then we go, we just head into it and start working on it. Well, now, when I first met you, you, you stood out to me. And there were some things I liked about you right away. But it makes me think about this question I'm about to ask you. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, what have you learned about leadership since you've become a director? What a great question. And one that I'm not often called on to reflect, you know, uh, and think about. Uh, but I think it's like, the, uh, especially in my job where I get to work with actors and I get to work with musicians and I really get to work with other creative types, the director, the choreographer, and technical types, the scenic designer or the costume designer, we all work together and we all have questions and answers for each other. But specifically the actors and the musicians, the people that really, once the curtain goes up, the people that I'm in charge of, it's like the art of managing people is what I've heard it called a lot, Um, is that everybody's different. And it is an art form in and of itself to motivate a diverse group of people to do something amazing, you know, like a show, (laughs) which we do something amazing eight times a week. And I think that being open to and interested in each individual personality and what they bring to the room uh, is important. That's what I've learned. Some stand on the podium, they wave the stick, they expect you to follow, they'll tell you when you don't, and they'll see you for the next show, you know. And it's important for me to make a round to all of the dressing rooms before each show and say, have a good show. Uh, Give a couple notes, maybe a couple adjustments, or just let them see my face so they know, A, that I care how they're doing, and B, that I'm available if they have any questions or they need me. And the musicians, it's important for me to walk into the pit and, you know, make a little eye contact with a few people and wave hello or come over after the show and say, great show, everybody have a great night. Uh, Because... At the end of the day, we're all humans. You know, we are not robots. Yes, we're people. We're people. Yes. And people feel things. And people uh, people have good days. People have bad days. People have days in between. People have days where they're not quite focused. Um, people have days where they really nail it. You know, and you got to, as the person who's on the podium, I feel like it's really important to just be really open, open ears, open eyes, observe how they're doing. And when you ask them how they're doing and they respond, really listen. You know, it's so funny. Um, early on in this process for this show, I, 
I remember saying to a member of the orchestra, hey, so-and-so, how are you today? And they said, oh, I'm fine. And I thought, in my head, I thought, you're not fine. The tone suggests otherwise. Yeah. And I said, that does not sound like you're fine. And the person sort of breathed, huffed, you know, huffed it off. And I said, well, look, I'm here if there's anything I can do for you. Let me know. Um, versus just sort of hearing that person say, I'm fine. And keep, you know, continuing walking up to the podium. It was important that that person knows that I do genuinely care about the answer to that question that I asked. And, um, and to be honest, the biggest thing I've learned to wrap that all up is when people feel comfortable at work and confident and they feel welcome at work, their work is better. They're, the show, essentially, that we're trying to put on sounds and looks better because everybody coming to work is hopefully really happy about it and they feel comfortable and welcome in the space that they're that they're in to do that work and and what i'm saying is i have more influence over that the tone of that workplace than one might think and in my few years doing this i've learned not to take that lightly and to really honor that you know honor that commitment to the artists that are giving so much time for a show it's important that they that they feel good i want to tell you when i first came in uh, this is my first time working at this theater mm -hmm. and so not only the theater but I, it's a lot of people i didn't know so yeah. the first thing i did i put my, my my instrument down i didn't even take it out the case and i went and i introduced myself to everyone in the pit i sit down take my horn out out of my case and as soon as i did that i uh hear a voice behind me I turn around and it was you doing the same thing uh. <laughs> I'm like yeah this this is what it's really about yeah now once upon a time I had uh, I was directing a big band mm -hmm. and uh, 18 people wow and uh, I believe I was the youngest person in the group and I I, I felt like how did I get here mm -hmm. and secondly what am I doing because everybody here has already done everything I'm trying to do mm -hmm. Uh, but that was something that I had to overcome. And I, I realized, hey, they're coming here every single week. Uh, so clearly, I'm doing something right. I just have to get, get over that mind monster. And of serve, your age difference and yes, experience level. and serve these people to the best of my ability. And once I got over that, uh, people, the band sounded better and, and increasingly got better uh, with, the, with each rehearsal. So I just wanted to ask you about that, because I, I believe you're probably the youngest person in the group, or one of them, yep. if yeah. not the youngest. I don't know how old you are. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. Do you want me to reveal how old I am? I'm not weird about it. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 31. Okay. And, and I am... Did, did you have any of those thoughts that I just described? Yeah, at 100%. And, um, and it's funny, I would like, early on in my career, I'd try to forget it. And then my mom or my dad or my aunt, uncle, sister would come to see the show and they'd look into the pit and they'd see a lot of people that were quite a bit older than me. I'd try to forget about it and every one of them afterwards would say, you know what the best part is? All these old people looking up at you to play, you know, and I'm like, well, first of all, watch your tone because that is not nice. You shouldn't call them old people. They're just older than me. And, uh, and second of all, 
it's about the work. You kind of touched on this, but it's about the work that we're there to do. And somebody gave me an opportunity to do this. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. And now my job is just to do that job to the very, very best of my ability. And uh, I'm grateful for my training in that I feel confident entering a rehearsal and knowing that I know musically what we can get out of this piece. So then just focus on that. Focus on what it's supposed to feel like, what it's supposed to sound like, how you could help each individual player contribute their very best. And and if the players see that in you, they're not thinking about how old you are. They forget about that. Yeah, I, I doubt that anybody was really ever thinking about that. My monster, man, yeah. <laughs> it's all in your it's head. All in personally. Your head. Yeah. Exactly. And we do that to ourselves. Like we put thoughts in other people's head, you know, which is like, yes. well, well, that wasn't our right. That's not our head. You know, like we we shouldn't do that because who knows what they're thinking. Um, and, and that circles back to your other question about, you know, just how to do it, how to lead people. And And one other thought is I always try to say at the first rehearsal, if there is something that is bothering you, that is making you uncomfortable, there's something that's getting in the way of your playing a great show, please let someone know. Because if you don't speak up and tell us, we couldn't possibly know that something's wrong. And the minute that you tell us what's up, we can fix it. So that's another good, important piece to the puzzle. Uh, What are some of your personal habits that are responsible for your success? The overarching answer is you got to try to be a human first, which can be really hard in an industry that sort of all depends on being chosen for a job or being told you're good enough to do this thing uh, from gig to gig. It's really easy to let that sort of drive uh, your day, literally. You know, like you wake up and, and it's really easy for your first thought to be did I get that job or am I going to get that job or what job should I look for next? Um, because you're freelance and your job, you go job to job. But the first thought in your morning should be, how am I doing? How do I feel? And then listen to your body and your mind and, and, and help it out. You know, well, I'm feeling a little anxious. You know what? Then carve a little time to go to the gym and work out, you know, work it out, just work it out, <laughs> put some tunes on and just, just run or, you know, do that. Or, you know, uh, it's summertime. And I would mentioned that, like if it's summer and you know, you're just feeling sort of blue, you know, your, your heart just feels heavy, go for a bike ride, go look at the lake, go swimming, go whatever, you know, take care of yourself, carve time to do that. Um, because another thing that's really easy for artists is to fill every moment of their time with work because we think if we're not working then we're not doing our job right like we're not making enough money for example and um, and I'm totally guilty of that where literally when someone asks me oh hey are you free for this thing the first thing I do is I look at my calendar and I just see if that day is open and my impulse usually if it's open is to rush right back and go yep yep I'm available And I've learned in the last year specifically, I've really tried to teach myself to think not just about am I available, but is this something that I want to do? Is it something that is worth my time and energy? Um, And there have been a lot of times in the last year where that answer has been no. And then I find myself with a day off 
or an evening where I can cook dinner for a friend or go to my family in the burbs and, and chill and just. And this ultimately makes you better, makes your life better. Right, because if I spend those two days away from Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, our weekend is Monday, Tuesday. If I spend that with my family and I spend that, you know, making music with some friends or planning a cabaret that's just for fun or whatever it might be, I'm going to come back Wednesday to Jesus Christ Superstar and I'm going to be really refreshed and totally, uh, I will have hit the reset button, you know, and so you're totally right. It's like, it's about being a human first and taking good care of yourself so that you can then do the thing that you love to do really well. But it's really easy to feel like a robot or, you know, a businessman and all of this stuff. And it's like, you got to turn that off at some point in your week and you got to reflect and, and relax. And you know what too, this is so funny, but I watch more TV now than I ever did. I used to watch zero TV none. And now like I'll get home from work and I'll throw on Netflix and, you know, watch a couple half hour episodes or something, or, you know, get into a TV show and, and try to keep a little bit up with it. And, and that seems so silly, right? Like everyone watches TV, everyone watches Netflix, but I really, I was in a place where like, I didn't give myself time to do that. And, and now I'm carving time to do that. And I'm so grateful because it, it's, just about getting your mind, turning your brain off for just a second helps your brain when you have to turn it back on, helps it be so much more powerful and charged. I just recently finished this book called Deep Work. And I highly recommend it to you and everyone listening if you have not already checked it out. One of the very good points that the author made is that, uh, he, first of all, he talked about distractions as, for example, um, a notification, a chime on your phone. That takes you out of deep work. Uh, he, he mentioned the, some of the best writers deliberately close themselves off from the rest of the world for three or four hours and uh, have, have made the decision to use typewriters just so that they are not disturbed. And this allows them to enter the mode he calls deep work and create something great. Now, at the same time, uh, this, is, this is what I love. Uh, how many times have we uh, done work? After working all day, we go to work again like at 6 p.m., 7, 8 p.m. Well, he talked about how that does not free up your brain and you need to stop working at a certain cutoff time and do something different. This gives you the energy to return tomorrow and do more deep work more deep yeah, work yes brilliant. that makes your makes your work better mm -hmm. yeah so that's a very good point that you touched on great yeah <laughs> tom you've been great thank Aww. you for spending your time with us today oh, totally my pleasure thank you so much for having me and that's our talk with tom vindafredo thanks again tom for joining us today and for you our listener if you like what you heard today this episode or any episode in the past Please just click the share icon on your device. Share this on social media. Other people need to learn with you. That's all for today. Next episode, we're going to have a contractor here. And we're going to talk about how you can land in the pit of a musical if that's what you want to do. Take care. God bless you.